short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. All right, welcome to the Cold yeah. War post Yalta episodes, Ray. <laughs> Thank Christ, and by Christ, I mean Cam, that we are here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. Now, yeah, everybody has to keep in mind that uh, throughout the rest of February and into early March, the spirit of Yalta is still ringing in everyone's ears. It's a can-do attitude. We can get together, be practical, and solve anything. That's about to change, but again, it is something that's very real, and, and everybody who's involved needs it to be real for their own political selfish reasons. But it, uh, nothing can last forever, and it's about to come crashing down pretty quickly. Now, before that, though, on March 1st, Frank gave a speech to Congress where he spoke positively about the outcomes, outcomes of Yalta. Um, it was applauded. Mm-hmm. It was his last major Yay. public appearance. And interestingly, it was oh. the first time he'd spoken in front of Congress in several years, and... He, uh, it was the first time he sort of spoke publicly about his affliction. He, you know, they used to hide the fact that he was in a wheelchair right. and all that kind of stuff. Whenever he spoke in front of Congress before, he'd have these metal braces that he would use to sort of right. walk and people would be holding him. This time he just said, hey, listen, dudes, I'm fucking old. I'm going to sit down. And uh, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm yeah. tired. And, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I've got this disease thing that we've been sort of not talking about for the last uh, 20 years. And everyone was like, Sweet as, dude. No problems. You sit down. It's all good. Um, You've earned it. You've earned a rest. He spoke for about an hour, uh, strayed from the prepared remarks and a number of times uh, to sort of talk about his experiences over there. But yeah, met with huge support from Congress. He was trying to, again, sell them on uh, accepting the terms of the Yalta Agreement and also to join the United Nations. The day before, Churchill had given his report to the House of Lords and Commons. Again, it was overwhelmingly voted for uh, supporting the, the, the agreements that they come up with at Yalta. So both of these guys uh, went back home, gave their reports. Everyone said, fucking well done, son. That sounds awesome. Now, to us, that's a lot, it's a foregone conclusion, but you have to remember when they were at Yalta, they were angling things a certain way because the uh, League of Nations had failed dismally. It's going to crash and burn. It couldn't stop Italy. It couldn't stop Germany. It couldn't stop Japan. So they had that ghost there, and the fact that the Americans didn't even join it in the first place. So this is a very big deal. This is a very big victory for them, and everything that FDR has done, he's got to be thinking, I'm going to go down in history for being able to help come up and create the United Nations. So this is a very big deal, even though it might not seem like it today. Mm, well, I think it seemed like it uh, today. I mean, I think it's a big deal. I think it's yeah, a big deal. Okay. Anyway, but then we're nerds. Um, now, within a few weeks, <laughs> the relationship between the big three had sunk to their lowest point since 1941. How, you might ask? Did they go from hugs and backslapping and reach-arounds at sort of the middle of February to hating each other by the end of March? 
Well, uh, that's a perception versus reality. Good fucking question you asked. I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> so it all started with a letter, uh, as great stories often do. Uh, once upon right. a time in a galaxy far, far away, Roosevelt <laughs> Dear John. sent a letter to Stalin on March 3rd, only two days after his speech to Congress, where he talked about what a good bloke Stalin was. And the letter uh, addressed a question that we didn't talk about uh, much during the Yalta Conference, the treatment of allied prisoners of war. Now, we could have easily have filled up a couple of other shows with their conversations about this. But what it comes down to is every of these three leaders, they have very different ideas and attitudes about the POWs. And these guys have been scattered uh, um, all over the place all over Europe because of Germany not only controlling so much for a while, but then obviously as it was losing territory, it had to move people around. So uh, this is not a very simple task. There are hundreds of thousands of them, and they're scattered all over the places, and they're mixed. And now these guys have got to clean up the mess that the Germans are left behind. It should be rather straightforward, but because of certain attitudes, it will be anything but. I should be clear that when I say Allied prisoners of war, I don't mean the prisoners of war that the Allies have uh, in their prisons. I mean uh, right. former POWs, Allied. Americans right. and British in particular, that had been POWs of the Nazis. Now, I don't know if we could have filled up several shows, but at least one show. There had been some discussion about the issue between Churchill and Stalin towards the end of the conference. Frank hadn't really been a party to it. But the heads of the militaries had signed an agreement on the matter, how they were going to deal with this. Basically, we're all going to give each other our uh, the respective countries' former prisoners of war back. We're going to do it quickly. We're going to do it efficiently, etc., etc. Now, there was uh, an issue that had cropped up by early March. General John Dean, who was the head of the American military mission in Moscow, had found out that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of dirty, hungry, and tired American ex-prisoners of war just basically wandering around the forests of Poland uh, trying to catch squirrels, and that they were getting the cold shoulder from the Russian military. Some had even been robbed of their watches at gunpoint. Now, the question I had in my mind was, these guys have just been released from Nazi concentration camps. How they managed to keep hold of their watches while they were in Nazi concentration camps, I don't know. But then I realised they probably hid them up their ass. This watch was on your daddy's wrist when he was shot down on Hanoi. Was captured put in a Vietnamese prison camp. He knew that if the gooks ever saw the watch, it'd be confiscated, taken away. The way your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright. You'd be damned if any slope's gonna put the greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright. So he hid it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. He'd give me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. Then, after seven years, I was sent home to my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you. 
That's so beautiful. It'd be damned. It'd be damned. (laughs) (laughs) But it's going to... It's going to get worse for General Dean. Not only is he going to find out about these American troops, you know, barely surviving and whatever, being ignored when obviously they could be helped because the Russians pretty much outright own Poland. But there are even even worse than that. There's dozens of wounded Americans uh, in a in a re, um, repatriation camp near Warsaw. So again, it's not like these guys are like miles and miles away. They could be gathered up. They could be assisted. And for whatever reason, nothing is being done proactively to help the Americans. And this is at first confusing General Dean, but then he's going to get pretty pissed off about it. Yeah. Dean wants to get these American soldiers out of Poland and back home, but he's stuck in Soviet bureaucracy. So he asks old Avril Harriman, fucker of young women, to uh, come and help. (laughs) Who isn't? Uh, (laughs) How is Rachel, by the way? Harriman tries (laughs) and he gets nowhere. So um, uh, the, the, the Russians told the Americans that they were, look, we're going to set up a new camp in Odessa. And then we're going to move all the Americans there. Once they're there, you can come and get them. When are you going to do it? Ah, at some point, you know, <laughs> we're getting around to it. Really? I've got one of those. Now, Americans being Americans, they were impatient. They wanted this to happen right now. Russians being Russians, they were like, listen, yeah. we'll get it done. You know, what's the big fucking well, hurry here? They have they have other priorities. I'm guessing rebuilding the western half of their country. Yeah, but but no, which which is, which is certainly valid. But the American thinking is: look, you want them out, we want them back. Why not expedite it? But again, the Russians obviously have to rebuild half of their country. Um, whether it was um, it just wasn't important to them, or even if it was important to them logistically, it is just not that feasible to move that fast. But I don't think the Americans want to hear that. And by the way, the war's not over yet. Hitler's still alive. We're still fighting the Nazis. Oh, that's right. This is March, isn't it? March. March. Yeah, we got shit. We're doing things, man. Like uh, <laughs> we're fairly committed here. Uh, anywho. So eventually the news made its way up to Roosevelt, who wrote Stalin a pretty harsh cable. It wasn't that harsh, really, but on March 3rd, it was fairly strongly worded. He wrote, Mm -hmm. It is urgently requested that instructions be issued authorizing 10 American aircraft with American crews to operate between Poltava and places in Poland where American ex-prisoners of war and stranded airmen may be located. Wait a minute, so... Stalin has been telling Churchill during Yalta to fuck off when it comes to anything to do with Poland, even observers. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that the, he's going to let American troops just fly into Poland. Mm. He, he, must, he must really think he's, he's buddy-buddy with Stalin. Mm. But anyway. Mm-hmm. anyway. Stalin replied, I want to assure you on our part that we shall do everything possible for the creation of favorable conditions for American POWs as soon as they will be on the territory which will be taken by the Soviet troops. So again, listen, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's okay, dude. Chill the fuck out, man. Like, we'll get you, you guys, but uh, where, where and when we say it's convenient. You're not, no fucking way are you flying into Poland. Meanwhile, Dean keeps trying to get access to Poland through diplomatic and military channels, and he eventually gets told, look, this is really something you should take up with Polish government. You want to fly planes into (laughs) Poland? We are not Poland, we are Russia. 
you want to fly Pol- <laughs> planes into Poland, you take it up with Polish government, which sounds Makes reasonable. Sense to me. Right, sounds yeah, reasonable. Yeah. But the Americans are suspicious that as soon as they deal with the Lublin Poles, Stalin's going to go, oh, well, see, you think the Lublin's is official uh, gov- Polish government. So that is government now, uh, forever and ever, amen. That's brilliant. Yeah, clever. Now, whether or not that's exactly what Stalin was trying to do, we don't know. Likely, it's probable, right. probable, knowing Stalin. Yeah. Uh, as, soon as, you, <laughs> as soon as you acknowledge the Lublin's are the Polish government, then they're the Polish government is you can't back down. Right. So the Americans aren't going to do that. Now, Frank's next message to Stalin, a little bit hotter under the collar. Frankly, I cannot understand. And he loved using the word frankly because he was Franklin. He was right Franklin by mistake. Franklin, I, well, no, that's me. I shouldn't refer to myself. Frankly, I cannot understand your reluctance to permit American officers to provide means to assist their own people in this matter. This government has done everything to meet each of your requests. I now request you meet mine in this particular matter. Please call Harriman... To explain my desires in detail. Five 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 three two seven nine. He should have put Harry's phone number, but I I don't know why. Of course, in the eighties, none of us realized that was actually talking about some hooker's phone number on a bathroom wall because we were twelve. <laughs> we learn again. I think yeah. it was nineteen eighty one, eighty two. I was eleven when that came out. I was like, hey, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I thought Let me it was look at something here because very romantic. Yeah. What are you looking at? No, I was trying to look at the uh, the Polish uh, the uprising in Warsaw to see exactly where the uh, Soviet troops were at, but it's shit. It's not giving me clear enough. But anyway, yeah. So they're not, you know. Uh, hey, speaking of which, lead guitarist of Tommy Two Tone, Jim Keller, was interviewed by People Magazine in 1982. He said, "Jenny is a regular girl, not a hooker. Friends of mine wrote her name and number on a men's room." wall at a bar i called her on a dare and we dated for a while i haven't talked with her wow. since the song became a hit but i hear she thinks i'm a real jerk for writing it <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know how hard it was to get phone new phone numbers back then but i imagine she had to trade up so she probably didn't appreciate that although uh songwriter alex call uh in 2009 said there was no jenny the number it came to me out of the ether so there you go there was a woman called lorene burns who lived in alabama at the time her number was eight six seven five three oh nine and she said we get at first we'd get calls at two or three in the morning and my husband would answer the phone he can't hear too well they'd ask for jenny and he'd say jimmy doesn't live here anymore (laughs) tommy tommy two-tone was the one who had the record i'd like to get hold of his neck and choke him (laughs) (laughs) so uh yes uh in 1982 wls radio obtained the number from a chicago woman and received twenty-two thousand calls in four days Oh, my God. Gold. Love that song. Anyway. Yeah. Where do we get yeah, to? Yeah, so it sounds like uh, Franklin's getting a little oh, like yeah, Frank. said, hot under the collar because well, the- he cannot understand why his good mate is not helping him solve this very serious problem. Well, again, the last part of his last cable, Please Call Harriman, sounds a little bit like yeah. an order. Uh, but Stalin... Uh- remained fairly polite he replied that he was doing everything he could but then he shot back 
Former American prisoners of war liberated by Red Army are in Soviet prisoner of war camps in good conditions. At any rate, better in better conditions than former Soviet prisoners of war in American camps, American camps, where they have been partially placed together with German prisoners of war and where some of them were subjected to unfair treatment and unlawful inconveniences up to beating as it was reported to the American government more than once. So it's like, hey, fucker, don't complain to me about American ex-prisoners of war, Soviet ex-prisoners of war in American camps yeah. treated much worse. So, yeah. you know, I don't know if that was true yeah. or not, like, but that's what he claimed. Right. I, I, do, I could just picture Stalin spinning that, but it's almost like, yeah, oh, they, they had their watches taken from them. My guys have been beaten. So, again, we don't know if it's true, and it almost doesn't matter that it's true. He is literally trying to take over the, um, you know, the debate, the discussion, whatever you want to call it, and come out victorious. And so putting FDR back on the defensive. And FDR gave up on the whole issue, yeah. which seems to suggest that Stalin might have been right about the treatment of Soviet POWs or that it was just obvious that the wall had come down and, he and you know, Roosevelt was many things, but he wasn't a white walker and he knew he wasn't getting through the Soviet wall. <laughs> um, but it's, the process was sped up getting these guys sent to Odessa where the Americans right. could get them. But um, as Plokey writes, the Soviets were concerned that the Americans were just using the POW issue as a pretext to get oh, their military personnel into Poland. And Stalin saw this coming a mile away, and he was like, uh-uh, uh, motherfuckers, you ain't getting into <laughs> Poland. Poland is yeah, mine. Yeah, so he had, a, he had a policy that, we'll give you back the um, your, your men, but it has to be done deep in well-established Soviet territory, not in the, any of the newly acquired land. So again, was Stalin right to be paranoid? Who knows? Because in these various episodes, in these various uh, podcasts, we've covered the FBI, the CIA, the OSS, uh, Secret Services, doing a lot of crazy, amazing things. So maybe they did put um, spies in there with the prisoners. We have no idea. But Stalin's not taking any chances, and so he is not working with FDR as well as he as he could, maybe as well as he should, but he's protecting his own, and Stalin has every right to be paranoid. Just because the war's almost over doesn't change anything. But you also got to keep in mind there's a big difference between the way the Soviets saw prisoners of war and the Americans saw their prisoners of war. FDR Absolutely. needed to worry about the PR spin on bringing the boys home. Yeah. Stalin didn't give a fat flying fuck about his boys, <laughs> let alone someone else's boys. He let his own son commit suicide in a Nazi concentration camp, for fuck's sake. Oh, my God, yes. Oh. Now, the Russians... Yeah, so he had two boys, Yakov, which was... Was he a general? I'm trying to remember. He was, he was pretty well ranked. He was ordered, along with every other Soviet soldier, not to take one step back. And so in the beginning uh, part of uh, uh, Barbarossa, when the German tanks, the panzers, go flying around either end and surround these guys, I mean, the Germans were surrounding 10,000, 100,000, whatever troops just at a go. So it was this amazing um, feat of uh, tactics. But the, but the Soviet soldiers were being captured. But again, to Stalin, and I really don't get this, maybe you can help me understand it, but to, the, but to Stalin, anyone who is captured, anyone who does not 
die while resisting the Germans, hopefully taking a German soldier with you, is a, is a traitor to the country. Stalin just had this, this absolute view of how these guys should be living their lives and how they should be fighting. Yeah, well, I think there was two aspects to that. Number one was, uh, you know, you, you should go down fighting. I mean, even if you get surrounded, you go in there and just keep fighting until you get killed. That's basically your job is to die fighting. Secondly, if you get taken alive, they might torture you and you might give up information which will lead to more Soviet soldiers getting killed. So there's no good outcome of being captured from his perspective. Right. Yeah, so Yakov, his eldest son, by the way, Yakov is Russian for Jackoff. So that's, I mean, he didn't have a good start in life anyway. When your dad it was you, a hobby. Your dad is thinking, I should have jacked off instead of impregnating your mother, but I said, I'm going to call you jack off to remind myself the rest of my life uh, instead of having sex just to jack off. Um, after he'd been captured, Stalin refused a German offer to swap Yakov for Nazi Field Marshal Friedrich Paulus. Stalin famously yeah. replied, I will not trade a marshal for a lieutenant. Yakov was only a lieutenant. Damn. We've got your marshal. You've got our lieutenant. We're not trading a marshal for a lieutenant. Are you kidding? Now, Yakov was seen as a traitor for being captured, and his wife had been arrested and sent to a gulag to pay for the sins of her husband. That's pretty fucked up, even for a communist. I mean, obviously, she has nothing to do with these following orders. But again, I guess that's how you keep the other people in line through fear and intimidation even if it's your own daughter-in-law. Stalin's daughter, Svetlana Aleluyeva, wrote in her memoirs that um, her father believed that Yakov had deliberately surrendered to the Germans after being encouraged to do so by his wife. And so she was arrested Can't for interrogation. But either way, it's not a good look. Yeah. Now... Um, now, how Yakov died, um, there were a couple of different variations on this. Um, Stalin famously said to his younger son, Vasily, the fool, he could not even shoot himself, saying he should have committed suicide when he was surrounded. Now, the original version of the story, the version that was believed for a long time, was that Yakov had committed suicide in April 1943 by jumping onto the electric wire fence of the Nazi concentration camp where he was being held. But recently declassified files out of Moscow show that he was in fact shot by a guard for refusing to obey orders. He was walking around the camp. He was ordered to go back to the barracks. He said, shoot! And they did. Shot him through the head. Did you ever watch that When Lions Roar no thing no there, there's a scene when they tell stalin about yakov dying and stalin obviously played by robert duvall he just he just turns he looks and he goes i have no son Whoa. so again just fucking yeah. cold as ice yeah so now, um I'm just, yeah, yeah well so but i just wanted to finish no. that story by saying yeah. that after yakov died his wife was released from the gulag because that's a happy ending <laughs> That's a Soviet happy ending. No, I just, I just imagine, um, you know, you've got to imagine that Stalin gave the word to treat these Americans pretty decently. I mean, 
who was that guy just a couple of weeks ago in North Carolina being held? He was finally released and died from whatever they did to him there. So you've got to imagine that if these Americans came with bruises and whatever, uh, you know, having your watch stolen. It's one thing, but if they had been seriously maltreated, that uh, FDR and Congress or whoever would have gotten seriously pissed off. Stalin does not need that. He needs stability so he can consolidate Poland. So he's probably doing a, a decent job by the Americans. Did you say they had their watch Stalin? These watch Stalin? Watch Stalin. Stolen's probably did. It's hour three. You know, some of the Americans had their watch stolen. Obviously, it was better than the Russian junk. But if that's the worst thing that happens to you when you're in your prison of war camp or you're running around, you know, hey, it could be worse. Now, the Soviets were treating the American POWs fairly well, certainly much better than they would have treated their own. Uh, the, The living conditions of the American POWs were on par with those of the Red Army. But the living standards of the Red Army were pretty shitty. (laughs) Right. In fact, there are stories that American POWs were offered to go and stay in these Red Army camps and they found out that they were going to be treated the same way as the Red Army and they said, no, I'll just stay in the forest and hunting squirrels. Thanks, really. I think I'll be better off. I, I'll, I have a better chance with the deliverance guys than I do over there in, uh, in uh, the camp. So, no, I'm good. I'm good. Now, by the end of March, Frank had lost all confidence in Stalin. On March 24th, he was brought a cable from Stalin. And after reading the cable, he banged his fists on the arms of his wheelchair and said, Avril is right. We can't do business with Stalin. He has broken everyone of the promises he made at Yalta. The cable was about Poland, and within a few weeks, Roosevelt would be dead. So Truman is probably going to hear about this frustration from FDR. It's about Poland, and he's going to pick up on that. I cannot trust this guy. And he's a very different man than FDR. And that is where we're going to leave the show. Short one, half hour, but then we went over time last week. Uh, I am going to read some heroes and some reviews because we haven't done that for a while. Um, DEFCON 1, new DEFCON 1 heroes, Nora Jane Gant, Dale Gutierrez, Nicholas RS, uh, Nickers, Nick RS, just Nickers, I guess is what his friends call him. Nice. Charlie Jackson, Zachariah Girth, Kevin Locke, Adam Stanley, Zachariah Girth, that's a good name. I just say to the girls, hey, you know, you know what matters? Girth. Girth matters. Girth likes you. Girth likes you. You want some girth? (laughs) It's awesome. Uh, Adam Stanley, Zach Simpson, Andrew McDrury, Chris Prestridge, Thomas Vidarsen, Andrew Minor, Tom Monk, Kylie Simista, Wesley Reznicek, Bob Evans, not the producer, maybe the producer of The Godfather, Robert Evans. I think he's dead. Maybe his son. Welcome, Bob. Or the restaurant. I don't know what that is. John Nicole, Fred O'Sullivan, James Toole, Thomas Steele, Joe Spaulding, and our new DEFCON 2 supporter, our farmer friend, television celebrity, Oscar Pierce. Oscar. I just sucked. Smacked. Okay. Uh, some reviews. Um, 
I've already did the Beg Poo one the other day. I'm going to go back. I'm going to read four reviews quickly uh, because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, all of these people deserve a thank you token. Haven't done one for a while. Um, Doe Moose from Australia says, just like warm apple pie. Carl Sagan said, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. And so it is for Ray and Cam, constructing the entire universe of the geopolitics of the time and all the important characters that were involved with a bunch of dick jokes and music. That's right, this is no ordinary history podcast. They go deeper than anyone else, luxuriate in the details more than others, give ten times more background than other sites, but they also have way more fun than anyone else. Why was Stalin extremely suspicious of the West? You'll find out and hear some filthy jokes. How did Europe get divided up in the war? You'll be astounded to hear how it went down, along with some 80s music. Was Churchill the hero he is portrayed as, or was he far more complex? And will Cam maintain his Churchill accent to the end of the sentence? Will Ray <laughs> run out of limoncello? You'll learn, you'll laugh, you'll thoroughly enjoy this most unique of podcasts. Thank you, Domus. That's clever. Nice. And nice. also from Australia, the Kipax. Hmm, I wonder who that is. Hmm. Better than caffeine coke. It's late on a Wednesday night and I have to stay awake to go to work at midnight. Not my usual routine. How do I stay awake? Ooh. TV? No, I'll just fall asleep on the couch. Read a book? No way. Caffeine? Nope, too tired to calculate the exact dosage and timing to keep me awake to work, but then let me sleep <laughs> afterwards. Illicit substances? Probably not the time to suddenly decide to dabble. Ray and Cam are the yeah. perfect solution. These gentlemen are the perfect balance of entertainment, education, and inappropriate comedy. Cam, the alpha male. Oh, the alpha male. So this <laughs> this is a reference to a big debate that happened at the Brisbane meet and greet around dinner at the German club, where everybody, including my wife, was trying to suggest that I'm an alpha male. And now I kept saying I am not, a, not an alpha male. I hate alpha males. I detest alpha males. They say, oh, that's because alpha males don't like other alpha males. You're an alpha male. I assure you I'm not an alpha male. Anyway, Cam the alpha male takes the lead with this exhaustive research. They said, said, you're you're, 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 you're an alpha male. You're always taking control. I said, I only take control because no one else does. And somebody needs to do it. And they kept saying, that's what an alpha male does. I go, no, 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 no. Alpha male... (laughs) An alpha male wants to be in control. I don't want to be in control. I, I don't want to do anything. I'm as no. lazy as fuck. I just want to sit around and do nothing. They go, no, that's not. No, alpha males just do it because they have to. Anyway. So anyway. Um, Good argument. Painstakingly taking notes while Ray the Quiet American adds appropriate gravitas. What? Really? Oh, to the proceedings with giggling and insinuated strip teasers. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. There is music jokes. They're not like- simulated. Banter, but more than all of this, there is serious history being shared in a relatable and entertaining way. I have no idea how much I didn't know. Excellent work once again, gentlemen. Keep it up. Thank you, AK. Um, also from Thank Australia, you. SM1977. Fascinating look behind the Iron Curtain. Do yourself a favour and listen to this podcast. Molly Meldrum reference well noted there. Ray and Cam take their listeners on an epic journey through history, going into depth on subjects barely touched on in other histories of the period. They do it with formidable research and with endless humour. If you want to laugh out loud while learning about historical events from different perspectives, then this podcast is for you. On a personal note, I would love to go to karaoke with you guys. Love to belt out a tune or two with you. Keep yes. up the awesome work. Sheena, yeah. take it we, slow we like your daddy. Take it daddy slow like your daddy you. told you. Yeah. 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 We should pick one special winner, get on Skype, 
and sing Turn Around Bright Eyes with them. <laughs> like we did the <laughs> like band. That the was band. the best time. Oh, bro. That was so awesome. That, was, that was, yes. I can't believe that didn't anyway, end up on video. So, what happened to Gabe's secret video I taken? Know, I thought he Gabe, got that one. Gabe fell down yeah. on the job. And he deserves he to have you of his marriage. having sex with his <laughs> wife. Um, and last one, uh, United States, uh, Charian won. Five stars is not enough. If your history of memory... Fuck, let me start that again. If your memory of history class is standing in the back of the room to avoid falling asleep, I would like to recommend the sleep-resistant Cam and Ray. However, if you have sacred cows, prepare for a barbecue. If you think your local customs yeah. and beliefs are the laws of the universe, prepare for a change of perspective. If you think history is irrelevant and boring, let Cam and Ray challenge that assumption. If you like a little off-color humor and rock music added to the mix, then you have found your history podcasts. I say podcasts because Cam and Ray also provide the life of Caesar, Julius and Augustus, the life of Alexander the Great, and the BS filter. Yes, BS is what you think it is. A word of caution to parents and guardians. These podcasts are liberally peppered with salty language. Discover the well-researched podcast of these two teachers entertainers. Unless you believe the earth is 6,000 years old, you will not regret it. Well, thank you, Charian, Sheena, Kipax, and Domoose. Uh, all of you send us thank an email you. to email at, the col- at acoldwar.com or, or Cameron, whatever my fucking Gmail, CameronRiley at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, and I will and give me your address and uh, and AK your new address because I know you just moved to Ipswich and um, I will uh, send you a um, or one of us will send you a token of our appreciation so uh, short show not a shit show but a short show um, we will pick up next week with more of not Yalta but how shit fell apart quickly, the death of Roosevelt, the incoming of Truman, the British election where Churchill is tossed out on his hiney, the development Mm -hmm. of the atomic bomb and all of that to come, the death of Hitler, the end of the uh, European war. Mm. Yeah. Mm, all well, of that. Well, first Hitler gets come. married and then he dies. Yeah, which is true for all of us. First we get married, <laughs> no, then then we die. Anyway, <clears throat> emotionally. No, I'm kidding. I love my wife. I love my marriage. I'm very happy. I love his wife too. <laughs> and Gabe's wife. Everybody's wife. <laughs>